Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Rick Thomas here, and welcome to Life Over Coffee. This is episode 465, and I'm asking a question here, and it is, what does it mean to live a gospel-centered life? That is a term that you are familiar with, I am sure, but what does it mean practically? It's a label. It's a worldview that most Christians have heard The gospel-centered life is practical, but many Christians do not know how to connect the gospel to their everyday life. And so the question that I'm asking here is, what does it mean? How do you do that? The gospel is an excellent idea for all of us, but does it transform? How does it transform my life, my relationships? Well, in this episode, I want to provide you with three essential ingredients, and I hope that it will put you on a pathway to living an authentic, practical, gospel-centered life. Now, again, if you want to see my show notes, just go to episode 465. What does it mean to live a gospel-centered life? And let me begin this way. I recently shared with you all an interview from Mark Grant. He was our first graduate from our Mastermind program a long time ago. I honestly don't remember, maybe around 2012. But Mark Grant has been a faithful part of our ministry for many years. And one of the things that he talked about when he came on board and started going through our mastermind program as a student, I was listening to that interview I did with him. And this is what he said, quote, while the recent increase in gospel-centered teaching has blessed my walk, I was at a loss on how to apply these truths to my everyday life. Life Over Coffee Ministry bridges this divide by connecting the gospel with a biblical understanding of the soul. As a lay counselor, Mark Grant said, the Mastermind Program has equipped me to minister the gospel to my soul, to my family, and others. I learned a model for gospel-centered living, close quote. And so as I was listening to that, I thought it would be good to like tease this out just a little bit because we have heard this language. And gospel-centered is not as popularized as it was in the mid-aughts. It was something that everybody talked about. But the language is now part of our vocabulary. It's part of the Christian nomenclature. And because it will always be with us, praise God, we want the gospel to always be with us. But gospel-centered is a part of our speak, so I thought it would be good to tease that out, to extrapolate what what does it mean. Uh, Sometimes our words can become cliches, and then the cliches become devoid of meaning, and then we use them in ways that are inappropriate or sub-biblical, sometimes unbiblical, like let go, let God, you'll hear stuff like that, things that make it to our bumper stickers. Well, the gospel-centered life is a valuable life, and so it is essential that we understand what does it mean. And so one of the ways that you can think about the gospel 
is like a multifaceted diamond. And every time you turn that diamond, you see a, a new facet, a previously hidden facet that reveals another aspect of God that you can apply to your life. And so the gospel-centered life is more than a saying. It is a practical life that looks like someone, and his name is Christ. In fact, there, you, you, those two words are synonyms. Uh, the gospel and Christ, they are the same. And so there can be a disconnect between thinking about the gospel and living out the gospel. And so an excellent way to think about living the gospel in a practicalized way, well, it could be in these three steps. And so let me give you my outline for this episode. It's episode 465. First, I want to define the gospel. And then two, I want to walk through some characteristics of the gospel. And then number three, I'm going to give you some practical questions that are around these characteristics that I will share with you. So you will have an opportunity to examine your life. So this episode is really going to be super practical. And so number one, point number one, let's define the gospel. Well, as I've already said, the gospel, I mean, most people would say it's good news. It is the good news, and it is good news. But the gospel is a synonym to a person. The gospel, the good news, is Christ. He was the predicted good news in Genesis 3.15. The gospel was the hope of virtually every Israelite woman in the Old Testament. The Father sent the gospel, sent Christ in the fullness of time, according to Galatians 4.4. And so what is the gospel? In the most straightforward language, the most concise language that I can give you, the gospel is Christ. Now, let's look at Christ or the gospel because we want to emulate him. And so to emulate Christ, there are two aspects that you want to think about. One is his person, who he is from an ontological uh, state of being. And then number two, his works, the things that he did. Who he was, ontology, and what he did, his works and actions, is the most concise way of thinking about the gospel. And so who we are on the inside, the, pe the people that we are, uh, just like Christ, who he was on the inside, we don't want to just have what appears to be gospel-centered behaviors manifest on the outside, but it is devoid of any kind of heart transformation. And so that's why there's this dichotomy here when you think about emulating Christ or emulating the gospel. The dichotomy, the two aspects are who we are and what we do. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 6, and when he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Jesus is connecting the tongue, the words that we say, to their source, to their genesis, which is in our heart. So there is no disconnect 
between who we are and what we say and what we do. Jesus' half-brother said a similar thing in James chapter 4. He says, what causes quarrels and conflict? The behavior that is out in the living room, in the family, is quarreling and conflict. But what is the cause of it? Isn't the cause, James says, it is this you desire, you do not have, so you have familial conflict. And so he too is is saying what Jesus was saying in Luke 6, that there is a direct connection between who we are and the things that we say or the things that we do. And so if you want to emulate the gospel, you have to think in those two ways, those two aspects of our dichotomy. Who you are on the inside matters. And then out of that is what you do on the outside. And so with that in mind, we want to study the characteristics of the gospel. We could say we want to study the characteristics of Christ. And so point number one was define the gospel. I have done that. Point number two, now let's determine the characteristics of the gospel. What is the gospel like? Or what is Jesus like? If Jesus is the gospel, then let's describe him. Now, I have given this homework assignment, this exercise, to many people over the years. And one of the things that I ask them to do is to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and read it for a specific reason with a a very particular purpose, and that is to study Christ. Just watch him as he moves through the four Gospels. It can be one of the most exhilarating and informative exercises that you will ever do as far as a Bible study is concerned. Just watch his interactions with other people. Think about his character and and what motivated him to do this or to be that or to respond that way. And you see that dichotomy of who he is as a person, his integrity, his character, and then you hear the words that he says or the things that he does. And so as you observe his life, as you study the life of Christ, then you begin to attach labels to the things that you are observing from his life as you study him in the four Gospels. Now, of course, I'm not just talking about his life on earth. You see, the gospel has always been. Jesus, the gospel, stretches into eternity's past, and it reaches into eternity's future. The gospel has always been, and the gospel will always be. The gospel was not just his time on earth. And so there is an eternality to the gospel. And so we want to study the life of Christ in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to give you a short list here of just some of the characteristics from my studies of Christ. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, and so as I give you these 15 words... You can add to the list, and I would encourage you to do this. This would be a fun thing to do as a family, as a husband and wife, as a small group, uh, just to think about your recollections of Christ in the Gospels and talk about different encounters that he had with people and then pull out different labels that best describe 
what those things are that you're seeing. And, and what, it, what it will do, it would be like putting brush strokes on the canvas. And so this, this incident in the Gospels, in Matthew, let's say, the woman at the well, for example, John chapter 4, and his interaction with her. Well, we, we will see that he was very intentional. Jesus just did not go to the well and because he was interested in water. It's like the water was a secondary reason for him going to the well. Jesus was always intentional. And that's the first word that I'm going to share with you here in my list of 15. And so as you think about these different scenarios in the gospel and you just study what he did, then attach a word to that, and that will be a brushstroke on the canvas, and you'll begin to get this beautiful portrait of who Jesus Christ was when he lived on earth. And so let me share with you my 15 words. Again, it's not exhaustive, and I trust that you would go through this thought experiment and add your own words so that you could have the most beautiful portrait, the most beautiful canvas of Christ that you could possibly have. These will get you started. Word number one that comes to mind is intentional. Not just when he was at the well with the woman in John 4, but you hear the intentionality of the gospel in eternity past. Uh, this is what the Father was saying in Genesis 3.15. Uh, there was a purposefulness. There was an intentionality. God is an intentional God, and so he was going to send the gospel to earth. As you read the first chapter of Ephesians, you see the intentionality of God. God is an intentional God. God. He doesn't do things haphazardly. Now that is very important to us when we think about the troubles and trials that we are going through. We know that we serve an intentional God because that, that is one aspect of the gospel and that is what the gospel-centered life means. Another one is patience. Obviously, this is the fruit of the Spirit, so I threw a few of them in there, but you see the patience of Christ with his interaction with, with his buddies, uh, the 12 apostles, and other people as well. He was even patient with the unregenerate Pharisees. Number three, kind. Obviously, Jesus is kind. Number four, Jesus is a planner. Uh, you hear this in, in Luke 14, where he talks about sitting down and, and counting the cost before you build a tower. Jesus was not an impulsive person, but yet he was premeditative, and he was a planner. He was very thoughtful about what he did. He was goal-oriented. He always kept himself fixed toward Jerusalem. He, he had a plan for his life, which was to do the will of his father. And so we're putting brushstrokes on the canvas. We're trying to define what it means to be a gospel-centered person. I'm throwing out ideas as I study the gospel, the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was intentional. He was patient. He was kind. He was a planner. Number five, Jesus was restorative. That goes without saying. He died on the cross to redeem mankind. Number six, he was sympathetic. And I'm using sympathetic 
for a specific reason as opposed to empathetic. This is something that we talk about within the Life Over Coffee ministry. Sympathetic has an element of compassion and courage attached to it. The empathetic person will be more compassionate but could very easily lack the courage. Jesus was a sympathizing Savior, and so he was very compassionate as he wept over Jerusalem, but he was a courageous man because he said things that were challenging, not harsh, and that's how compassion and courage balance each other out. Some people can be just compassionate and it can lean too far in one direction into some kind of mushy compassion that is mercy run amok and it's not compassion at all. And then some people can lean too hard over into courage, which eventually, and it won't take long for you to become a harsh uh, type of person. Well, sympathy is the word that brings in both of those aspects that's necessary to be gospel-centered, and that is courage and compassion, number six. Number seven is intrusive. Jesus would get up in your business And there are so many stories in the four Gospels that communicate that. Jesus, number eight, was punctual. He kept his word. He was a man of integrity. If if he said he was going to be there, he's going to be there. And I'm not talking about being anal and being uh, militaristic as far as being military time, being legalistic, but there is an honoring aspect that you you say, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I will do, and Jesus was a punctual person. That is the idea, one of the ideas behind Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, not a minute before, not a minute later, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son right on time. The gospel is punctual. Number nine, suffers. Well, we understand that. Number 10, courageous. And I pulled it out of sympathetic, which was uh, number uh, six, uh, because I wanted courageous to stand on its own because we struggle so much with fear of man. We are an insecure lot. We are a timid, anxious, worrying, fretful uh, people. And so courage needs its own own spot on my list here uh, for obvious reasons. Number 11, transparent. Jesus was transparent. I have some questions for you later about that. Jesus was relational, number 12. Obviously, God is a relational God. It's part of who he is as the divine community of Father, Son, and Spirit. We are made in his image. Therefore, we should be relational beings, not isolating beings who are withdrawing from people. Now, we withdraw to get rest, we withdraw to be refreshed, but there is something within us that wants to be communal, and the person who uh, it, it resists community and doesn't want to be around anybody, well, that's a huge gospel-centered aspect that would be devoid in their lives. Number 13 is honesty. Number 14 is confrontation, and number 15 is discipline. And so as I study the life of Christ, these are some of the things that I see going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and this gives you an idea of what gospel-centered is. Now, I would encourage you to 
add to that list. And by the way, we have in episode 465 here, I have an infographic, and I've taken these gospel-centered thoughts, and I, I put them in this infographic that has a whole lot more words than the 15 that I just shared with you, because these are the things that we look for in our mastermind students as they go through our program. Now, in this list, it's, it's called a, a, leadership, a leadership graphic, leadership development, and there are five categories, and then there are all these subcats under each one, and so the first category is character, the second one is capacity, the third one is competence, the fourth one is courage, and the fifth one is compassion, and so under those five primary categories, then there's these subcats, and there's like 10 or 12, I haven't counted, of, of subcats under that, that different words that explain what we mean by character and capacity and competency and courage and compassion. And so you have 50 or uh, 60 words in this infographic that will give you even a fuller portrait of what it means to be gospel-centered. And I would encourage you to take a look at the infographic in episode 465. And so in my three-point out line in this episode, define the gospel, which I have. And then number two, what are some of the characteristics of the gospel? And so I have been putting brush strokes on the canvas, and we have a pretty good picture of what the gospel or what Christ looks like. And then point number three, my final point is let your religion be authentic in your home, in your church, in your relationships. I mean, if it is real at all, May our profession of Christ be an actual possession of Christ that transforms our lives, then also transforms our sphere of influence. Jesus was gospel-centered because he was Christ on earth, and his life was transformed, and he had a significant impact on other people. The call to be a Christian is to die to ourselves while living for God. And so the best thing that we can do in response to this episode that I'm laying out for you is to sit down with your spouse if you are married, with your children if you have any, with friends, and talk about areas where you are appropriating the grace of God in your life. And this could be a wonderful opportunity to celebrate God's kindness in your life because you are being empowered by his grace as you appropriate it into your life to live the gospel-centered life. Now also there may be some areas where you need to change as you go through this list of 15 characteristics and any labels that you add to my list. Well, there's grace for that too. And so we can improve. We can grow in our sanctification. We can more effectively emulate uh, the person and work of Christ. And so with that in mind, point number three, I want to ask you some practical questions. I will roll through these somewhat quickly, but you can find all of them at episode 465. So I'm going to take all 15 words and just attach questions to them, and of course you can ask uh, your questions too. The first word was intentional. The question is, are you interested in people? 
motivating you to speak in your life uh, into their lives. One of the things that that we talk internally here at Life Over Coffee is I will ask this question: If your wife asks you to go to the store to get a gallon of of milk, what is your primary reason for going to the store? Well, your primary reason is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and a gallon of milk will be added to you. I'm paraphrasing Matthew 6, uh, verse number 33 here. That when we go and do things, whatever those mundane earthly tasks are, those are secondary and tertiary objectives. We go primarily to get gasoline or to get a gallon of milk or go to the church meeting or go to a ball game or to cook out on the back deck. We do those things as mundane earthly opportunities, but we have a primary objective. We step, we step into those moments looking for God to show up because God will be there. Uh, God is very intentional, and so there will be opportunities before us. And so we want to have that kind of intentionality about our lives. We're not showing up at the church meeting on Sunday morning uh, with no intentionality at all. No, we are going and looking. We are men and women on a mission because we know that God has something planned there, and we want to be, we want to step right into it. So when Jesus stepped right up to the well in John 4. Well, getting water was a secondary issue, but there was a woman there, and because he was driven by intentionality, because he was gospel-centered, he was ready to go. And of course, he shared himself with her. Intentionality. Are you interested in people motivating you to speak into their lives? Number two, patience. You have a difficult friend or relative. How would you describe your patience with them? And I'm specifically asking about difficult people. Are you patient with difficult people? Because that is really uh, the more challenging test for us. Number three, kind, kindness. How would you describe your kindness toward unkind people? Number four, planner. When you go to a meeting, how much time do you take to think through what you would like to accomplish at that meeting, at that context that you are going to? Lucia and I have done this traditionally through the years, like on Sunday morning, as we're getting ready to go to the church meeting, we will talk about some of the things that we would like to accomplish in particular people's lives. Sometimes we will do that on Saturday evening as we're planning, thinking through the church meeting on Sunday morning. That's just one illustration of planning. Number five, restorative. Are you a gentle restorer? This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 6. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. And so as you're helping someone transform, as you're cooperating with God in the transformation process, do you do it in a gentle fashion? Now, it may be helpful uh, if you're married to ask your spouse, uh, am I a gentle restorer of you? If you have children, perhaps you could ask a family member, a child, hey, when I correct you, when you receive my corrective care, do I do it in a gentle way. And so restorative, number five, Jesus was a gentle restorer. Number six, sympathetic. I've talked about it at length as I was laying out these 15 labels. The sympathetic person has compassion and courage. The question is, do you err on one or the other? And then a follow-up, why would having one but not the other be a problem in your relationships? Number seven, intrusive. 
Does the fear of others hinder you from intruding into their lives? You have someone that is before you, and God is just beating on your heart, saying that, I want you to speak into this person's life. You need to be intentionally intrusive in their life. How does the fear of man hinder you if it does? Number eight, punctuality. God is right on time. Do you honor folks? Do you honor their time by keeping your word and being there when you said that you would? Number nine, suffering. Suffering. How well do you steward God's most feared blessing? That is the subtitle to my book, Suffering Well. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. You can find it in our store at lifeovercoffee.com. But suffering well is absolutely essential to live well in this world. You and I are going to suffer, and so we have to determine, are we going to suffer unwell or are we going to suffer well? Those are the two choices, but suffering is not, there's not another option other than suffering. Number 10, courageous. How does your faith in Christ emulate the courage in Christ? Number 11, transparency. Are you appropriately open with the right people? I modified that by saying appropriately open because transparency doesn't mean that you're just transparent with everyone. There are some people who cannot steward your truth. And so I'm speaking more about reciprocal relationships, those who aren't one-way relationships where you're always caring for them, but they have no game. They can't care for you. They're not at the place in their life lives to care for you. And, and so you would, ne- you would be guarded about your transparency with them because you don't know if, if they can be trusted. You don't know what they would do with your truth. And so it's appropriate transparency. But, but the real question here is, are you desirous to be transparent? Or which way, which way are you leaning? Do you lean into transparency or do you lean into isolation and hiding? And of course, when we're transparent, we want to do it appropriately. Number 12, relational. Do you naturally connect with other folks? Is it easy for you to connect with other people? Number 13, honest. Are you willing to be honest with others? Kind of tied to the transparency uh, question. Though you won't be open with those who cannot steward your truth. But again, which way are you leaning? Are you leaning into honesty or leaning into deception? Number 14, confrontation. Are you willing to confront a person when it's the right thing to do? And then number 15 is discipline. How does self-control operate in your life? Can folks depend on your character and actions. As a gospel-centered person, it is who we are internally and what we do. Can people depend on your character, who you are as a person, and the actions and the things that you do? This is episode 465, What Does It Mean to Live a Gospel-Centered Life? I trust this has been helpful for you. Let me wrap up by just asking a few questions. Not many. I think I have uh, three uh, here for you. So number one, as you listen to what I'm sharing with you, how does your life align with the life of Christ? 
how are you doing at being gospel-centered is the question. And then, of course, what areas do you need to improve? As I go through this list, obviously there are areas that I need to improve. I mean, I have to write this stuff. <laughs> That's tough enough because as I write it, I'm, it's, it's like writing on a mirror. I mean, I can see myself as I am writing this stuff. And, and so it's convicting. And then there are times I do these podcasts and uh, there's nobody listening now, family member, but I've done podcasts where my family would be sitting in the same room or in an adjacent room, and I'm just so convicted by the very things that I'm saying. There's room for us to improve, and so how does your life align with the life of Christ? Let's celebrate that. And then what areas do you need to improve? Number two, and this is important, this list that I just gave you, 15 characteristics and 15 questions, it is a pneumatic list, not a rote one that you legalistically emulate. People love lists. I'm a little bit afraid of lists because what happens is lists, they become codified. And, and then once it's codified, this is how you do it. And that is the pathway to legalism. We live a pneumatic life. We, we, we walk in the spirit. And so you're not looking for an index of questions to mirror, but you're looking for a life to live in the milieu, which changes according to every moment's need. And so how you would talk to Nicodemus in John 3, and how you would talk to the woman at the well in John 4, and how you would talk to the rich young ruler, and on and on and on, it will be different. And so you want to be careful about codifying. The codification of our list can become a rote behavior that becomes devoid of meaning because it's just the list that was written a long time ago. And so this, this list is a pneumatic one. There is pivoting and flexibility. It's not a rote list that you live legalistically. There's not a question here, by the way, in number two, but there is a warning. And so make sure that you're always seeking to walk in the Spirit, and you're not looking for a list to live by. And then finally, number three, what will you improve? What is your specific and detailed plan? And then finally, will you share with one person what you plan to do? I call this pre-accountability. This is where you tell someone what you are about to do. Uh, sometimes when I'm fasting, I will tell Lucia that I am going to fast tomorrow. And the reason I say it before I do it is because I'm gaining pre-accountability because tomorrow could come and I could back out of it and I haven't told anybody about it. So no harm, no foul. I don't have to do it. Nobody knows. Well, except for God. And so I, I found it helpful to have pre-accountability. Go tell someone what you listened to here in episode 465 and then tell them what you plan to do and gain that pre-accountability before you step in the process of actually making whatever changes that you need to change. Episode 465, what does it mean to live a gospel-centered life? Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.